Jen Silvernagel. Gary McGowan, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We got we got somebody in the green room and we're all trying to share it. Who can share the most? <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to figure out how to share. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you get it onto your stories, but I figured it out, I think. It's all good. It's all good. So we got lots happening on this show today and um, special guest and somebody I've known for an awful long time and they are all over the place. Mary says perfect. So I'm going to assume, I am going to assume that she means my volume's coming in perfect. I'm going to go with that. Anyways, that means we should roll right into the intro, Jen. All right. You Lynn. Perfect. Perfect. Yes, that is what she's referring to. That's good news. That's good news for everybody. Yes. As I mentioned, we got, we do have someone in the green room that's just waiting there. We should just let them sit there all show. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Um, um, that's funny. That's right. You're coming on now. Note, you're coming on now. Note now. So um, you gave me some great ideas to talk about, Jen. And, and people always ask, where do we get our ideas from, our topics? And it's it's, it's things that are happening right within our market, our brokerage and questions that are coming up. And, you know, if, if one person has that, that question, we can probably assume that many do. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think a lot of the time, you know, it's conversation that's happening among our top producing agents. And sometimes it's questions coming up with our brand new agents in scenarios that they've never come across before. And then we get reminded of them as they get asked, right, that these things pop up and happen. And pretty much we're basing it on what agents are experiencing in any given day or week um, with the market and all the market changes in the last little while. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So let's jump right into our guests. And uh, I've, I've worked with this person for I'm gonna say uh, well my entire time here at KW so eight and a half years now and I know uh, I know he's been with KW for I think it's just over ten years and Kirby Chan has brought so much so much value into my world from from online lead gen to leverage to just thinking outside the box and be uh, learning to have fun while doing a business. Uh, Kirby, mm -hmm. I'm going to bring you on screen right now, my friend, and give it up for Kirby Chen. You might, there you go. Find the center of the screen. There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, my friend? Hey, guys. Very good. Hey, Gary. Hey, Jen. Hey, Kirby. Awesome here. So, Kirby, for, for all those people that are perhaps watching this and don't know who Kirby Chen is, uh, give us that little, you know, one minute bio of who, who, who Kirby Chen is, you know, do you have a wife? Do you have kids? Do you, do you operate in real estate? What do you do? <laughs> yeah. So I, am, first and foremost, I'm, I'm a fan. I have a family. I'm a leader in my family. So, uh, I have my wife, which is Carrie. So some of you may have seen my partner and wife, Carrie Cito. So she's, a pivotal person inside of Kirby Chen Co. real estate team. So we are in real estate. I have three boys and uh, three beautiful boys. And they're, um, yeah, that's that's the reason why we do a lot of our, our uh, uh, business that we do. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So what are you doing 
and how are you leveraging yourself into real estate? Like real estate comes at us in so many different forms. And, and one of the things that you've been really great at is, you know, obviously working hard in the industry, but not, not overextending yourself and you protect that family time. We want to talk to you about some of the leverage things that you're doing. Talk to us about that. (laughs) Um, Leverage. So I always say to people, you don't have to work hours in real estate. Like for me, I work most times, most days is three hours a day, right? Today is a little different. We're having offer presentation tonight. And so I'm working the whole day, you know, calling agents, looking for for offers there. Right. Um, But most days it's about three hours a day because we hit our 20%, our key money making activities. So we leverage two things. One is systems. Where's my, where's the screen? (laughs) One is systems. Number two (laughs) is going to be uh, people. So systems meaning, um, the lead generation systems like Facebook ads, uh, Facebook chat bots that will pre-qualify people um, using this RCRM, uh, using KW command, being able to automate a lot of the emails that go out. And the key thing is the notifications that come back. So I know who's responding out of like hundreds of leads that you have to go through. It takes a lot of time for me. It's automated and it shows up a notification who's responding to me. So I know who to call. That saves me a lot of time. And the second thing is people, right? Talent is key. So for me, I have about six uh, virtual assistants in the Philippines. And I don't call them virtual assistants because assistants will always only assist me. So I call them virtual leaders. So they don't assist me. They're actually leaders in their own department. So the six leaders take ownership. So another, another uh, word that we use is accountable. So they take ownership of their role. So they never come back to me and say, Kirby, what's next? And I love that because when they take ownership of it, uh, they go and do the things that they need to do. Uh, I don't have to manage them. I like it. So Jen, uh, Kirby mentioned something there that we haven't necessarily talked about in the past, and that's being in your 20%. Yeah. Like how how great would life be if we all landed in our 20 percent? Well, I, I mean, the, the big takeaway I got from that was we can work three hours a day. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's so it's so purposeful in uh, in in its process. And I love that. It's it's so obvious and simple and and also a huge learning curve for a lot of people to let go of all that other stuff and just know and be clear on what that 20 percent is. And Kirby you know, has been doing that for quite a while and figured that out pretty early on. And I think adapted it at a high level with, you know, his Facebook playbook and his virtual leaders and all the stuff that he's created and incorporated with the team environment as well. And I mean, you also, you know, we haven't, you didn't touch on this yet, Kirby, but you also do training and and coaching of, of other agents and providing models for them to learn how to do these things, right? So you are leveraging it into another, you know, another outlet, another passion. And I think that's that's really, really cool to see that by being purposeful in that top 20%, those other opportunities create themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I always say Keller Williams, like I joined the company in 2010. And after joining Keller Williams, I think that was the key. You know, that was the access point to so many doors that's opening. 
So it's not just about selling real estate. Um, the the real the real estate training coaching program that we have right now is a result of being in Keller Williams. You know, being that um, being that being able to pee that person a contribution inside of real estate uh, allowed me to develop this program. Allowed me to develop the Facebook playbook. So I get to use the Facebook playbook. And here's a funny story, guys. The Facebook playbook last year, um, we use it like maybe on our team 30% of the time. And then COVID happened. Everything shut down. Um, we decided to not go do any more door knocking, no more cold calling. Right. Um, actually, we stopped a lot of our Facebook ads at that time. And we said, we're going to go all in 100% on Facebook playbook. So that means organically reaching out and um, interacting with people that will do business with us. And it went crazy, right? So uh, last year was our best year. Um, you know, it was better than 2020. And some people may say it's the market, right? But it was better in 2020. And I worked three hours, started working three hours a day last year. And then this year, we're reaping the results again. So January and February, the best January and February we have ever had. It's already half of 2021. The production already it's only been two months so it's like this you know going all in on facebook playbook was uh was the best decision i ever made it, i got to work at home with my kids um and it, things are things are easy now i okay. stopped calling cold people so so t talk to us a little bit about what the facebook what? playbook is what uh, is a Facebook playbook because we, we're using it like we all know what it is, yeah, but I know yeah, there's yeah. many <laughs> listeners out there that uh, don't know what it is. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, so Facebook's play Facebook playbook is a system that I developed, and it's a strategy, really, of how to use Facebook in a very intentional way. So you're not on there looking at cat videos or just <laughs> responding to people randomly and connecting with a lot of agents, right? If you're a real estate agent, your whole feed is usually real estate agents. So I, I have developed a way where we can turn Facebook into a database where you can develop what I call raving fans. And my students are out there. I teach them how to develop 500. That's all it takes. 500 raving fans on Facebook. We label them as raving fans. And then we are intentional in interacting with them and hacking the algorithm of Facebook so that you always show up, your post always shows up for those 500. So we're kind of saying like, please Facebook, I only want to focus on these 500. Please show all of my posts to them. And I know there's about 3,000, 4,000 other friends there, but they're not that important, okay? So you can show it to them sometimes, but what I really want is the 500 because we want that 12 to two ratio. So for every 12 people, there's two deals, 500 raving fans, 83 deals a year, guys. That's what we're out to cause. I love it. So <laughs> I like I, I, just, I went internal there, and I think Jen did too. Like, Gary, hang on a second. Gary was doing the math really quick in his head. You can see him process. I know five. It's like every agent says, "I know five hundred people," right? Yeah. And I yeah. and I asked them, "Do you know their birthdays? Do you know their kids' birthdays?" And they go, "No." Do you know what they like? Do you know everything about them? No. So they don't know anything about them, the five hundred people. But I do. My raving fans, I know everything about them. Right. And, and that's yeah. a good point. I mean, we always talk about building our database and, and getting more information into it and, and utilizing it. And and you've looked at Facebook as, well, that is your database. 
and it gives you mm-hmm. right it gives you that information like a birthday yeah. or you know a memory that comes up but you know an anniversary or what have you and i love how you're leveraging that um yeah are, are now are you using are you leveraging that out to other people to do that for you or what explain to me how you're using some of your uh, virtual assistants or, or partners virtual partners Awesome. So the um, so what I do is I do all of my Facebook myself. Okay, so everything's genuine. Uh, what I do need support in the virtual leader is when I send out the message. So I craft the message, and they will help me send it out. I craft all my posts uh, for the week, and they will help support me in sending it out. You know, posting it up. So I don't use a third party program to do scheduling my posts. Because Facebook favors somebody that does it for real, right? In real in, in, in real time. Um, so we have someone doing that for me. Um, and then um, we have, and we have this, you know, I love connecting people on their birthdays. So what they do for me is that they will interact with people the day before their birthday. So they'll send out a message that I crafted before their birthday. And so that we will have them respond and we can get into conversation. Because who's going to respond on their birthday, right? They're really busy. So that's one of our little strategies. So before the birthday, uh, again, to conversation, what do you want for your birthday? Do you want a new house? <laughs> right? What do you want to achieve this year? So those are the kind of messages I want uh, to, to send out and get to know. So if you heard of Ford, right? That's another thing. Your family, occupation, resources, and your, not your dreams. I like to talk about goals. I like to talk about the frog. So that's what I that's what I use that's what I use the virtual leaders for. That was a good so, pivot right there. Yeah, Ron. no doubt. Jen, what's your frog? You're like, what? I know. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so uh Kirby, you're working, you know, you're 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 three or so hours a day on your business, your real estate business. One might say that leaves you a lot of other time to, you know, obviously you know, connect with your family. And when you're not doing that, tell me about some of the other projects that you're working on. Cause I know you're, you're quite passionate about that. Yeah. Um, so all my projects really connect together. That's what I like to have projects that connect together. So for example, a real estate business is here. Uh, the virtual leaders, they're called the power of 1000 leaders. Um, they're supporting small businesses around North America and they support me. Okay. It's a benefit. Number three is like the digital marketing, uh, coaching and training. Um, I got a lot of referral partners from there. Um, and from that, uh, I teach a lot of small businesses too. So they give me referrals. It's all interconnected. Then I have a project in uh, Africa where I'm getting the courses from North America. So people that are course providers, um, it's like Tom's shoes, right? Where they, you buy a pair of shoes and they give one away. Well, I'm going to course providers and I say, hey, align with us. It's called One School, One World. And when they sell a course, they can say they're going to give one away. So they give one course to us and we go to Africa. We're looking at Kenya right now and we're looking at um, at Nigeria, the two countries. And we're looking for organizations there that have young teenage girls that are looking to train themselves in the Internet work. So that they're not making $1 per day there or 50 cents Canadian a day. They can move up to $5 to $10 a day over there. So that organization is all, actually, it's not even a nonprofit because no money ever changes hands in that operation. It's all uh, people that are volunteering. 
Yeah. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. And and real estate's given you these opportunities and, and would you say Keller Williams provided or set you up to, to operate, you know, a li- we always talk about at KW, a life by design. And, yeah. and, and, and kind of in closing here with you, like talk to us about that life by, by design and maybe more importantly, um, Jen, would you agree? Like how, how does, how do you protect that? Yeah, I, I would love to know how you, how you put those blinders on and not how do you keep everything else out, all the noise and, you know, all of people always talk about your headphones. I like maybe that's what it is, but how do you, <laughs> how do you keep it all out, out of your world so you can just focus on, uh, focus on those key things, right? Yeah. Um, you know, joining Calibans is, is has been life-changing because it's, it's never been about making more money. It's, it's always about uh, who we're going to be. You know who we're gonna, who we get to be in the company, and so all the training from uh, the goal planning, goal setting, that was all great. I use all those tools for this. So having time blocking, blocking off one hour times from five o'clock, five a.m. in the morning, having my meetings from five to six. Uh, five to six is my personal time, but six to seven is one meeting. Kids are not didn't wake up yet, so six to seven, and then seven to eight is another company, another meeting. Right. And then eight to nine, you got real estate. Then by nine o'clock, the kids are all awake. You know what? My day is already, I've already had three meetings with three teams already. Right. They're all off doing what they need to cause the whole for the whole week. Okay. So then that's number one. Number two is there's this really amazing course called Quantum Leap. Uh, if anybody gets a chance to take it, and you know, Gary Keller, our founder at Keller Williams, has given me so much. I've, I met him only once in real life. However, I, I just watched so many of his videos. I feel like I, 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 I've seen him so many times. But with him teaching Quantum Leap, which is a course that uh, is his life mission, right? His All the stuff that he's learned in life about starting Keller Williams, he put all that into a course and he taught all the agents. So I've taken that course many, many times and I teach that course and I teach it to young uh, teenage, teenagers. So 18-year-old to 28-year-old, I teach that course. So, I mean, I had to live it before being able to teach it. And so I use that in everything that I do. Um, so, yes, Gary, the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer it has, is yes. It has, <laughs> yes, it has really transformed my life. Yeah, um, fantastic. Yeah. No, I always admired uh, how you, you think more than just yourself. Right. And that's one thing I have really admired about you, Kirby, is, you know, you, you obviously are, are looking out for your family and and then uh, how how you and your family can impact not just your community, but the world. And, and I think that's very yeah. commendable. Um, keep it up. And I love hearing these stories about, you know, you know, one school. Sorry, I'm going to what's the What's the name of the school? One one. <laughs> One school, one world. I oh, was so close. One school, one world. Okay, that's it. That's great. And and for those that want to reach out to you in regards to um, the the Facebook playbook and leveraging that, uh, best way to do so is through uh, obviously Facebook, social media. Kirby Chan Digital is a way to get a hold of you yeah. as well, right? Yeah, you can uh, search me out on Facebook, Kirby Chan Digital. We have a Facebook page. There you go. Imagine that. Well, my friend, uh, I wish you all the great success in 2021 and beyond and uh, keep impacting the world, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, KWRC TV.
There we go. Kirby Chan with the one and only. There's only one Kirby Chan. Sorry, Jen. I, w I have your microphone muted because I was getting some feedback there. But I think we're good now that oh, Kirby's okay. off. Yeah. Fair Kirby. enough. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I've always I've always admired what Kirby's been able to do. Yeah. Yeah. He's such um he looks at things so differently. I've always uh, I'm always interested to hear what he's work working on and focused on because it's always unique, right? And creative. And I love that they, he definitely gets outside of the box to create opportunity. And it's always, he's always got something on the go. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's for sure. That is yeah. for sure. Okay. So we got a number of topics to uh, jump into Jen. And, and the first one is what would you do? So let's, uh, we'll fire the intro here. Perfect. What would you do? So Jen, um, Jen and I have these conversations are like, wow, that's actually, that would be great for the TV show. So we should probably talk about that. And, um, the, the, the topic today, uh, is, is one that comes up from time to time. And if you're not, if you're not having these types of conversations, uh, you should. And here's, here's the, let me set it up and Jen, we'll, we'll just kind of tackle it. Um, mm -hmm. A buyer has uh, the home and meaning, sorry, a buyer has a contract on a home to close. So it's, it's pending to close. It's past the inspection time in this regard, or sorry, the, the conditional period. And of course there's not many conditional periods right now, as we all know. <laughs> yeah. And, and you as a listing agent, you get a, a request for an inspection on a property that is already firm and just waiting to close. So what do we do to handle, how do we handle that conversation, Jen? What should we do in that regard? Oh man. I mean, there's a, there's a hard answer, right? There's the, there's the no <laughs> right off the bat. Um, and then there's the bigger conversation. You know, are they, are they doing a full home inspection? What is the inspection for? What are the purposes? Um, I guess that this would be, um, if something did come up that wasn't disclosed or that people weren't aware of what would occur with the closing, right? Even though the deal is firm and you know, everyone has the best intentions and we're doing it for the right reasons. If something like latent or Pat came up, that was a big issue that people weren't aware of prior to, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to, it's going to blow up. It's going to become a challenge. So from a listing agent point of view, you know, I'm not going to allow that inspection to occur. If they had wanted one, it should have been a condition and it should have gotten completed during that conditional period. Um, and then I know that sometimes also, you know, there's that conversation about oh, we're just, it's just so that we know when we take possession, what we have to fix, what that costs are going to look like so we can start arranging things. And I've been on the other side of this call and I've been on the listing side of this call. And on the buy side, I was making all the right reasons that I should get the inspection. And on the list side, I've got all the reasons why I'm not going to give the inspection, right? Because it's all about who you're working for. Um, and, and it's always tricky because our buyers can always say to us, oh, we're just doing it for these reasons until there's another reason and until something else happens that changes the purpose, right? And once they have that information, once that information is disclosed, now we have to deal with it. Yeah. However, that's going to look, right? And that would be, you know, that would be, the, I guess, the bigger concern it seems like a non-issue off at first glance. Oh yeah, no problem. Go on in, take a look, do your thing, figure out what you want to know for closing. When you start to peel back those layers, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of red flags there, right? Yeah. Leak that goes off. <laughs> I don't remember to mute it. <laughs> That's somebody disagreeing with you, perhaps. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah, from from the listing perspective, and as you said, who are we working for? Well, we're working for the seller, and and the flat out answer, as short as it is, it's no. Uh, mm. that's not what was negotiated upon in the purchase and sale agreement. And really you shouldn't have to support your reasons why it was not in the purchase and sale agreement. And you're right. I do get it from the buyer's perspective. And, and that really, as a, as a buyer's agent, we really have to take a step back and think about, we're always going to get requests like that. We can't stop the request from happening. However, we can mitigate uh, that conversation from happening by having that, you know, the pre buyers consult and coaching them on what we can and can't do. Uh, once we put this offer in that takes us, that takes our ability of a home inspection away. Now we understand, you know, obviously under current market uh, conditions that, you know, home inspections, you're not going to get that accepted typically in our current market, right. In the GTA. And, and really from what I, for what I hear right, all over North America, doesn't matter whether you're in Winnipeg, or down in 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 Orlando, like it's a hot market almost everywhere. Yeah, it it really does factor into the buyer consult and, and having that. But from a listing perspective, your job is to protect the seller, and and we're not saying that hey, we're trying to hide anything. It's just that is not that was uh, agreed upon in the purchase and sale agreement. Just flat out no. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think it is always an interesting conversation. Because sometimes it leads to that conversation with your buyer of where they then start to get into, well, let's just use one of our visits um, as an inspection. We won't tell them we're bringing in an inspector or we'll just, my uncle's a contractor. He'll just come to the visit and you start to get all of these workarounds. And as a buyer's agent, you know, you have to, you have to know how to have those conversations and how to explain why we can't do that. And also to explain, you know, what the terms of the agreement actually are and, and what that can look like for the buyer, because buyers, you know, they don't understand all of it and they think like, Oh, it's not a big deal or, well, we'll just do this instead and it won't matter. And, you know, it is our obligation to, give them that information as buyers agents and educate them properly. And as you said, that consult being the all important thing to make sure that they know beforehand what to expect. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in coaching to set your expectations up front with your clients so that they don't get disappointed or they don't feel that you're not working for them and you don't get all those objections and kickbacks that are going to maybe make you consider doing something, you know, you shouldn't be doing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that gave me an idea of maybe a future topic we could talk about is what is the, the showing etiquette or the visitation etiquette? You know, who can show up to these, to these you know, right. um, negotiated or, or predetermined visits, right? And I think there's right. a good conversation. And we'll circle back to that because uh, I think that's important because sometimes you show up and, and as, a, as a buyer's agent, all of a sudden there's like, eight different family members or family groups all showing up and we get it because as a buyer, you're excited to, to show the property to mom and dad or whomever brother and sister, but there is, yeah. there is an actual etiquette on, um, you know, who can enter that property, especially under, under, you know, kind of COVID conditions at the moment as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say even more so with COVID and, and that, but even, adding on to that conversation a little bit, the length of the appointments, right? I, I've known that there's been times, many, many times throughout my career, and I'm sure most other agents, 
where you know the you show up and the buyer shows up and they've got their designer or their, this person or that person and you know you've got an hour to try and get all these people through and the buyer doesn't seem to be aware of the time restrictions or restraints and you know it's always a learning moment to go okay that need to make that more clear or need to understand myself what that looks like um but i think it's these are all great conversations to know as an agent and then to be able to have up front with great clarity to your clients and then, you know, remind them as, as you, as time goes on and we progress and, you know, sometimes we think, Oh, I said it at the beginning. So they know, and then it, it comes, it starts to come up again down the road. And, and you kind of have to remember that they're only retaining a small percentage of what you told them in that first conversation. So if you haven't told them multiple times and at the beginning of each new process and each new phase, remind them, okay, now here's what happens next and here's how it works. Um, you're going to have this sort of stuff and you have to, you know, you can, a seller can come home and be like, you got your hour, you're out. Right. So you have to kind of know what that looks like. And, you know, this, uh, this whole conversation of what it could spire, it can spiral into a whole other um, run of conversations and different topics because there's so many variables and, and, you know, sometimes buyers get creative and they want to do stuff that you're kind of like, all right, I didn't see that coming, and you gotta you gotta be able to handle that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think I think to sum it all up, as a listing agent, the flat out answer is no. If they want to do a, an inspection after it is firm, um, and and we get from obviously from time to time, you know, um, requests even during the uh, the conditional period of you know extra services and people coming in. If that's something that is that's your intent, just negotiate it into the offer. I know right now market conditions probably don't allow for that, but in future conversations, um, you know, negotiate that in, and we've done that a number of different times, and and who can show up to the property and, and so forth from the buying side, we've negotiated that. And, and if you're up front with the buyer or sorry, with the sellers and the listing agent, uh, most of the time that's, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you told me because uh, it sometimes doesn't get, get mentioned. So, so there we have it. Yeah. 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 And I think it's important that to remember to um, a conditional period is not an opportunity to, to, to try and vet, all of the other conditions that you didn't get put into the offer. You know what I mean? So sometimes this has come up a few times and it, it's always concerning when you hear it where someone doesn't have, um, for example, doesn't have a financing condition, but they have a status certificate review or they have a, a well or a septic. And then they use that time to get their financing lined up as well. And it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's just such a, uncertain way to do things and it's it's just not it could cause trouble so you know if your client needs a certain condition for the purposes of approval you need to have that in there right you can't use a different condition to manipulate what your client does or doesn't need because at the end of the day you may not be protecting them at the highest level which is our fiduciary duty as a buyer's agent that's a, that's a good point jen i mean this conversation is opening up <clears throat> excuse me so much more yeah. but it's yeah. important the uh yeah, a home inspection is an inspection because, or any condition that you negotiate for, uh, it is your intent to fulfill that condition. Mm -hmm. Flat out. And if yeah. it's not your intent to to complete or satisfy yourself in that condition, then don't put it in. Because from a legal standpoint, that can backfire and you know bite you in the butt pretty quickly, right? So anything you yeah. negotiate, that has to be your intent. Don't don't put a home inspection in and not complete it. Right. right. Go, yeah. go wave it. 
if if that's uh, if if that's your case, waiving means that you're going to remove that condition from the offer, and and or you're going to obviously fulfill that condition. And, and right. move from it, right? That those are two big big things. I mean, we should have our broker record, Christine, come on to talk about the legalities and stuff. And and there yeah. is a, there is a conversation, Jen. This is another topic. We're just coming up with topics. <laughs> uh, what's what's the difference? And, and I'm, we're we're not going to answer this now. We're going to leave it. But what is the difference between waiving and and fulfilling the condition or satisfying the condition? Those are two mm-hmm. big differences. And, yeah. and, and we're going to dive into that maybe next week, um, that, but that's a good one. Okay. Let's move on, Jen. So we got some quick takes here. Okay. The first, the first one, uh, is a listing strategy and, uh, Jen, you, you see it more than I do because you're working hand in hand with our agents, uh, our, our listing agents from that perspective in the field, meaning you, you know, at the beginning of the year, we saw a tremendous amount of activity from buyers because there was not a lot of listings over the last couple of months. That's, that shifted the needle has moved ever so slightly where we're getting less showings, which means less offers on a property, but we're still getting for the most part, multiple offers two, three of them. Um, so should, should I list my property with an offer date or should I list it and, and say I'm available to preemptive offers or the third one, just list it and offers at any time. Like, where are we, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is a big topic. Um, so I think the thing to remember is like our market has changed multiple times in the last five months. We've been in different variables at, on, at different weeks. And in certain weeks, one thing will work better than another. I think the most, the most all-encompassing answer I could give would be, it depends on your price point. Um, and what your product is specifically. If you're, you know, a, a high-end luxury property and, and you're in, you know, 1.5, 1.6 and plus, um, potentially even higher than that, you're probably not putting an offer date on that home because you just don't have the demographic of buyers. You are, they're still sitting longer on market, days on market and all of that. So, you know, that strategy isn't going to work there. If you're really anywhere below that, what we've been seeing is agents who are listing at market value and and not having an offer date or having an offer date, but you know, so I guess when we talk about listing strategy, we got to talk about two different pricing strategies too, because there's an offer date at market value and there's an offer date below market value with the expectation of creating a bidding war, right? And what we've been seeing is that when people are listing at market and putting an offer date, um, they're either not getting offers or they're maybe getting that one offer that's potentially coming in a little bit low. When people are listing below market value, whether it's 50,000, 100,000, however they approach that strategy and holding back offers to create that bidding war, they're getting that market value price. So it does seem to be that holding back, strategically pricing a little bit lower in a more broad price range where you get more activity is still creating that bidding war and getting that market value price. I would argue to say at the end of the day, you know, the the demand isn't what it was in January or even early February, where you were getting like significantly above what market value would have been from the previous sale. You're kind of getting around market value, maybe a little more. Um, so whether you do it one way or the other, it just kind of depends on what strategy you want to take and how you want to handle it. But but it does seem to get more attention when we're creating the bidding war 
strategy still. Um, and then preemptives is a, is a whole other conversation um, because, you know, we're getting preemptives coming in that aren't strong. And so what does that look like? And is that necessarily the best option to take in regard to, to accepting or looking at or triggering an early offer date because of a preemptive? Um, that depends on what that offer looks like, because what I've been seeing is that the preemptive, it's not usually the best offer at the end of the day. Right now, when you trigger a, a bidding war, other other um, offers are coming in and they're being more aggressive because now they know there's an offer already on the table. So they're coming in with, with a competition mindset, whereas the preemptive is coming in with a I'm trying to scoop it early mindset, right? So it's um, it's it's different than it was in January and February. We can I think we can all acknowledge that. Um, the strategy maybe depends on what sort of demand you want or how you want to deal with it as an agent, but your best bet is to list it below market value with an offer date and not accept preemptives. That would be that would be my suggestion at the moment. Yeah, and, and you really do need to analyze the market. Obviously, each area is going to be slightly different, but each um, each product, meaning home, is going to be slightly different. There's kind of, you know, three or four different categories. There's there's your entry level, which, you know, typically your townhouse or even your condos, and we're starting to see condos uh, rebound over the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. the townhouse market or that entry level market, that's always going to be gangbusters in any type of market, moving up, moving down. And we, we know that today, that it is one of the strongest markets. The next market would be, say, um, that next size home. So maybe maybe it's my second house and and now I've owned it for 10 years or more and I'm looking to upsize, you know, into that bigger, bigger, maybe 3,000 or 4,000 square foot home even. And and that that home, you know, your second home is still a pretty hot market where we have seen it level off, Jen, is that that. Uh, that big four bedroom home with the five bathrooms and that sort of, that's maybe where it's starting yeah. to level off. However, it's yeah. interesting because I was talking with a very, very high end uh, luxury agent this past week. And he, yeah, he agrees. Yeah. That, that $2 million range or that, that kind of top end of that big four bedroom home or en- that l- entry level of the luxury market is definitely slowed down. And he said, the yeah. weird part is the top end of the luxury market so whatever that is in your area, so for instance, around here, that would be like seven million, eight million and up. That's gangbusters yeah. right now. <laughs> like yeah. it's weird, yeah. but it, but that top top end luxury market is is going nuts. So you really do have to become, and Gary Keller will talk about this all the time, being a student of the market, being a student of the industry and understanding. And and more importantly, you can be a student, but more importantly, how to convey that to to your clients and how to how to deliver it in information that they're going to understand. Because remember, you know, one client is going to interpret that information or receive that information, learn that information differently from the next. So you have to be able to adapt to all that. But uh, yeah, yeah, understanding your market understanding the the inventory and and yeah the listing strategy i think is that ever ongoing conversation that you need to be having for sure right yeah absolutely and and you need to be looking at the market every day that you're on the market you need to be making sure that we have transitioned so many times um over the last four or five months our market has shifted like we like we were saying at the beginning week by week in some instances where you know you have a quiet week then it it gets crazy again because inventory dips down or whatever that looks like you know you've got to be on top of it for your clients and and for your own ability to to be successful in the market this can be a very lucrative market if you know how to read it 
right? And it's a great opportunity for a lot of your clients. And, you know, the condo market is a great example of that. You know, in, in December and even November into December, for sure, we were talking about now it's a great time to buy in the condo market. Market The, the market is down. Well, that lasted all of, you know, two, three months. And now we're going, we're seeing, you know, one of our agents had a listing downtown in um, Liberty Village last week, a condo list. That went into multiples with a preemptive offer and transition from one preemptive to four offers. And, you know, they had a, it took a while. We got through it and they got a great price and a great deal on that property. Um, and they, they sold with happy clients and, you know, they bought in a multiple scenario as well in Liberty Village. They upgraded to a townhouse. So we are starting to see that market pick back up. So if you're still sitting thinking, oh, the condo market is down, you need to get caught up. And it does change that quickly, right? And the the housing market is, is, like you said, the same. And I think it is, I was noticing the average house pr price prices seemed really high, even in Aurora and that, which, you know, awesome. But also I was like, well, that's weird. And then I looked at where the money was being spent and those high-end homes, really that price that has kind of pulled that whole average up, right? Um, and we need to understand that that's what's happening. And that's why we have averages and medians and all those different conversations and as a listing agent you need to be able to speak to all of that and explain it to your client and then make the best decision for your client moving forward based like you said on their location and their property and what their product is in itself right yeah well said well said the, the next topic that we have here jen and i don't have a, a banner for it I'll, I'll type it up as we're talking but that's that's all about uh you know from from a leasing perspective sometimes tenants have pets and when we're trying to acquire a property, what do we do, Jen? Like, some, like, do I tell them I have a pet, the landlord? Do I not tell them? What, where do you land with that, Jen, on, on disclosing that type of info? <laughs> well, actually, it's funny. I, I actually just went through this myself with clients. And uh, we, we lost a couple of properties because we had a pet and we were disclosing that we had um, and a dog and it wasn't a big dog by any means. It was reasonably sized and obedience trained and all that sort of stuff. Some landlords just, you know, don't, won't consider it. Um, the thing about it is if you lie about it, it's misrepresentation. Uh, and, and there's a big concern around that. And I know a lot of, a lot of tenants and a lot of agents will say, well, you know, the, the laws, you can't, you can't, you know, hold it against somebody that they have a pet. And that's absolutely true. You can choose not to rent to somebody. Um, for any reason, right? It's your home and you have the right to say that that person's not a fit. They don't have to disclose that that was the reason why. If you go into a deal and then the landlord finds out after the fact that you've had a pet and that you didn't disclose it, then there becomes question of the integrity of your contract to begin with. And I would be more concerned about the end result of that conversation if you have the long, wrong landlord on the other side of the, the situation than I would about losing a couple of properties and putting the work in to find one that's willing to take animals right now and their challenge becomes what type of animal and i've heard everything from you know i've had coaching clients calling me like my my uh, my client has a snake right well what do i do like will a landlord take a snake Isn't it i don't know <laughs> ask the landlord right it's if everybody's different or you know if they have a great dane or a mastiff that are hundred plus pound dogs they create more wear and tear so you have to work with the situation and the information you have and find a property that works for that scenario. Um, and sometimes that can be challenging. And, you know, that's something that you, your clients need to understand and they need to be patient in that process. Um, that would be my take on it. I, I just don't believe that not disclosing it is the right way to go. Although easier, I do acknowledge that. I don't think it's the right decision. Yeah. I mean, you want to start off on day one, for instance, on the right 
foot, right? You know, with the right, right. right relationship. And, and I can tell you, being a landlord myself, uh, I'd much rather work with a tenant that is forthcoming and, and discloses and, you know, all sorts of different information like that. And, and now I, my expectations are set properly as a landlord or, you know, if, if roles are reverse, vice versa as a tenant, it's nothing I'm ever trying to hide or, you know, we got to put the dog away. Trust me. Landlords yeah. find out what pets you have, regardless. They, they, they just, we yeah. just do, <laughs> we just yeah. do. And, you know, and, and speaking from a landlord's perspective, I know, um, you know, at the moment you might say that, uh, it's becoming ever, uh, we're, we're able to have more, um, applicants per property right now because of the lack of yeah. inventory from that perspective. And uh, we, we get to choose, you know, who we think is the best fit. Uh, but for those landlords that do accept pets, um, maybe look at it a li- with a different approach. And, and, you know, there's no uh, increase your rents, pets allowed. And, and, and maybe there's there's if there's two units available and, and, and or two homes available at the same time and they're both at two thousand dollars or whatever it is. And you look at it, you're like, what if I accepted a pet, I would accept twenty two hundred dollars a month for instance and maybe advertise it like that you know increase your pricing especially in a hot market where you can you know um push the envelope a little bit and maybe there's some opportunity there as well that'd be my yeah, take on it. I, yeah i love that approach um and and i think the other thing to remember as agents is just because the listing says no pets doesn't mean they're not open to pets and so you know I've called listing agents and in fact, the deal that we just got done where they had the dog, the listing said no pets in the remarks specifically, but I called the agent, spoke to the agent, explained the situation, gave them info about my clients, who the dog, like the dog, what the history of the dog was. And they were perfect. The landlord, all that information got shared and the landlord was like, yeah, that doesn't sound like an issue. Send a picture of the dog. We did. And that was it. So, you know, just because it says no pets, it doesn't mean write it off. It just means there's further conversation that has to be had. And if it's a hard no, you'll get that pretty quick. The agent's just going to be like, no, and then you move on. At least then you know. Um, But make the phone call, ask the questions, you know, do the do the preliminary work. And you'll you might be surprised, especially if the listing's been on the market for a little bit longer. Yeah. Beautiful. Jen, I think that wraps it up for today. We had lots of great info. Uh, do reach out to Kirby and, uh, and learn about the Facebook playbook and, uh, and how he's leveraging that to, you know, build a, a business to support his real interest, what he wants to do out there and, and so forth. So we'll be back next week with, with some more great information. Uh, Jen, any closing thoughts? Uh, you know what? No, I got nothing right now, dear. I'm still thinking about the pets and leasing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Very good. Well, uh, for Jennifer Silbernagel, I'm Gary McGowan, and that is another episode of KWRC TV. We'll see everybody real soon. Bye for now. Bye, guys.